0: Lord Christ, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning that we might hear from you. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So we have six baptisms of youth that we're doing today. This is an exciting day. We are so thrilled for this. And I've had the the wonderful honor of of meeting with each of these youth and and talking about baptism, uh, what it means, and and what this Sunday would look like. And if I had to boil down to one word, uh, the the attitude or the experience of, of the kids right now is that they are eager. They are so eager for this. Uh, all six of them. And it's been so fun and encouraging for me personally uh, to get to, to pray with them uh, and meet with them and chat with them. And this isn't just a big day for them as well. This is a big day for all of you too, because what you get to do is you get to make vows to uphold them in their faith. This isn't just about them, but this is about the household of God increasing today. And every single one of you, whether you've, this is your first Sunday here, if you've been here from the beginning, this is something that you get to participate in. And so welcome. Thank you for joining us on this day and being a part of this, a day of welcoming in new brothers and sisters to the household of God. is going to be a lot of fun, too. Uh, I've never done baptism in a feeding trough like this before, <laughs> so this will be really interesting. And I've, been lo- I've loved uh, having, uh, hearing some of your questions leading up to this Sunday, too. So we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews, and the passage that we read today just lines up beautifully with baptism, doesn't it? I just love how how this speaks to our new life in Christ, the new way that he shows us to live. So there are many ways that we can define the word religion. Uh, If you think about it, there's uh, almost anyone you talk to has a different definition of the word religion. One way that you could define religion is by saying that it is a story of everything. Religion is is that which tries to merge all the different disciplines and kind of speak to everything. You know, it, it has something to say about biology, about philosophy, about history, all these sorts of things. It's the story that explains everything. And the author of Hebrews, a pastor, writing to his congregation, writing to the Hebrew people, is he's writing to a church who is tempted to leave the Christian story. They're tempted to, to leave the Christian faith and they want to revert back to the old rituals and rhythms and the old story of the, Hebrew, of the Jewish religion. They're tempted to give up the story of Jesus and to go back to the old story of their Jewish faith, which is perfect for a baptism Sunday. Because in baptism... This is when we celebrate that Christ has written us into his story. In fact, if we were to open up and turn to an earlier part of Hebrews, maybe even on the same page at the beginning of chapter 12, the author says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is writing our story into his own. And Paul, writing in the book of Galatians, says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ." You've taken his story upon yourselves. Now, obviously, the Christian story isn't the only story in our world. There's lots of stories that compete against it, that have different things to say about why we are here and what it means to have the good life. There's the story of hard work, right? The story that you can earn your approval before God. You can earn your righteousness. There's a story of meaninglessness, The story that we're just matter in motion, right? That we're just dust floating in space. Therefore, do whatever you want. The story of meaninglessness. And I could go on and on. There's many more stories in our society right now. There's the story of wokeness that kind of appeals to our victimhood. There's the story of superiority that appeals to our victories, right? And we can go on and on and on about the various stories. And if you talk to followers of these stories... You might recognize some little glimmers of meaning here and there, but eventually they all come up empty. Well, baptism places you in a different story. And I wish I could tell you that baptism places you in a story that is always happily ever after, but that's not the case. Jesus says to count the cost. He says this is a big deal. Being a follower of the suffering servant isn't always easy. And it's not always easy because the other stories that are circling around in our world right now are constantly trying to lure you in, to try to pull you away from the Christian story. In fact, those of you, the six of you who are being baptized today, you might notice an increased temptation to do that after your baptism. And so that's what brings us back to Hebrews. The author is saying, "Don't leave. Don't leave. Cling to the faith that you've been baptized into. And what our author does, what this pastor does, is he boils down all these stories to just two. Two stories about two different mountains. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. One is the mountain of law, the other the mountain of worship. One is the mountain of doom, and the other one is of delight. One is the mountain of fear, and the other one is of feasting. One the mountain of judgment, and the other of jubilee. Don't you forget, the pastor says, You have moved from there to here. You're here now. This is your story now. This is your mountain. This is where you belong. So let's take a little bit of a closer look at each of these mountains. Mount Sinai. The mountain of dread, right? The mountain of fear. Where Moses ascended. ascended. The people pulled back. And God came down and gave the law to his people. A place of fear. All the senses were on alert that day if you were there. You would feel the heat of the fire. You'd feel the push of the tempest, right? You'd hear the blaring of the trumpet. And then you'd hear that voice, that terrifying voice of God that shook everything. It's no wonder if we were to turn back and hear that story, you'd read the people saying, "Uh, Moses, you go up that mountain. We're good. We're going to stay down here. You go up up the mountain, Moses. You talk to him. And the feeling was mutual, right? God said, don't even approach this. You send so much as an animal on this mountain and it's gone. Do not approach me, God says. You see, God is other. He is unapproachable. So there's three things I want to tell you about this mountain. First, this story is true. These things that, this, that Mount Sinai has to teach us about God is true. We need to know this story. We need to be reminded of the fact that God is holy that he is pure and good, and that he is other from us. The story also reminds us of our own sinfulness. We see God's holiness, we hear the law, and we know that we'll never measure up to it. We can't accomplish that. We can't come close to the pureness and the goodness of God in heaven. We also realize that there's guilt on our hands. Lots of guilt because we know we can't measure up. And this is why, later, the author brings up the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel. If we remember that story, Abel was killed by his jealous brother, Cain, and the blood of the slain cried out to God, crying out for justice. And many of you, all of us, myself included, still hear this voice of Abel echoing in your ears. Maybe you haven't killed anyone, but maybe there's things that you've done that have led to the ruin of others in your life. Maybe it's an angry word spoken in haste. Or maybe it's silence when you know that you should have spoken up. Or maybe it's a betrayal that plagues you with guilt that you've experienced. And so now we see our former spouse, our former coworker, our neighbor, our colleagues. We even look in our own conscience and we're dealing with the consequences. We see them dealing with the consequences of our actions. So when it comes to Sinai, we too stand next to Moses and we tremble. We tremble right there. The story of Sinai is true, but also the story haunts us. Thirdly, it is an incomplete story. The story of Sinai is incomplete. It's not full. The sacrifices that God tells us to do were never ultimately satisfying. The guilt was never fully resolved. This is why the author tells his congregation to come, stay, draw near to this new story, the story of Mount Zion. So what exactly is Zion, right? Now, on one hand, it is a literal place. We could hop on a plane. We could go over there. We can go check out Mount Zion. It's an interesting place, to say the least. But originally, it was captured by King David. It's, the holy temple is built there. And this is where God was worshipped and praised and sacrifices were offered here. And ultimately, on this mountain, this is the mountain where Christ himself was sacrificed upon the cross, atoning for the sins of the world, This is where Jesus himself cried out, it is finished, completing the story and inaugurating a new way of living. But there is more to it than just historical facts. The writer of, of this book wants us to know that Zion is pointing beyond the mere physical place. He says that Zion is a heavenly Jerusalem. It is the city of the living God. This is where we hear echoes of Christ's victory resounding forever. And you have come here, he says. This is where you stand. This is where you are. He says, you have come. That same word is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as draw near. Draw near to this mountain because this is where you are. There's a connotation of invitation to this word. And just look at what's happening here. Look at what's going on here. Festal gathering of all the angels is what it says. Do you see who else is here? Innumerable angels who've gone before us. and uh, Angels who are there and then saints who've gone before us, right? Former loved ones who now are in heaven, who've now been made perfect. God the judge is there, whose judgment is complete. And Christ the mediator is bringing us in and beckoning us to join him. These words have probably stirred up memories of what our communion liturgy says, right? Do you remember what the words say in communion when we're joining our angels with or we're joining our voices with angels and with archangels and with all the company of heaven? And if you were here a few months ago, you also heard our Kenyan liturgy that we used, which speaks of those faithful ancestors who join us as well. Reminds me of this passage from Hebrews. You see in other words, when we come here, when we come to this table, It's not just us. Heaven and earth meet. We stand among the company of heaven. You see, the story of Mount Zion, this is a heavenly reality. We have come to this place and there is a great feast here. But friends, God is still holy. And there is still sin and injustice plugging our world. That's what this third paragraph from our reading tells us. God still speaks and the world still shakes Wall Street shakes the White House shakes our neighborhoods shake and sometimes when he must God even shakes the church so those of you who are seeking baptism today when the world around you you find is shaking take shelter in Christ for the scriptures tell us that your life has been hidden away with Christ that is where you are you are united with him. Now, as we were preparing for this Sunday, many of you know that originally we were supposed to be down at the lake. There's kind of some gross stuff going in the lake, so the park district has closed it. We can't do that. And I was thinking about the fact that we have this today. It was reminding, or it, I kind of thought, like, you know, this, this actually serves as a special reminder to the six of you who are being baptized today. A special reminder of your unity with Christ. So remember when Christ was born, he could have been born in any number of spectacular ways. He could have been born in ways that rivaled what we read about going on at Sinai, right? With smoke and fire. But instead, how did Jesus enter into this world? Not on a mountain, but in a cave. Basically a glorified barn reserved for or a glorified cave, a barn reserved for animals. And what was he laid in? A manger a feeding trough, right? So for those of you being baptized today, this might seem very silly in the eyes of the world. It might seem very silly to some of us, you know, if we're looking at this. But may this be a reminder of your unity with Jesus Christ, the one who began his life here on earth in a manger. You, as a way of marking your new life in Christ in a modern manger of sorts. Praise God the Lord. What a reminder that you belong to the humble king. The blood of Abel has no claim on you any longer, for the blood of Christ has been crying out that you are redeemed, that you now belong to him. You have now come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.